This episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you in part by Braintree, code for easy online payments. To learn more right now, visit braintreepayments.com slash supertrain. And by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. No credit card required. Enter the offer code supertrain at checkout to get 10% off. Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Good. It's very loud in my headphones here. I'm. Uh, I'm. Turn it down for you. Yeah, please. I'm at a. Uh, I'm at a uh, outside studio. Yeah. <laughs> hi. It's, it's Judge John Hodgman, engineer. Is <laughs> the volume knob there? Okay. Hi, other Judge than, John Hodgman. Hi. Other th- Merlin says hi. Other than uh, the manager of my apartment build or a manager of my office who one time knocked on the door and yeah. maybe was audible in the background uh-huh. and some seagulls. Mm-hmm. You are the first guest voice on Roderick on the Line. I'm just here to make sure it sounds good, everybody. It sounds fantastic. Please, uh, John, please thank John for me. Uh, Merlin you says thanks. Can I put these sofa cushions? Yeah, could you put, put, the, uh, put the baffles there? It's just like my, uh, you know, I miss the seagulls. Uh, John, does he have anything to adjudicate? Would he like to join us for the program? Uh, John, would you like Merlin's asking whether you would like to join us for Roderick on the Line to adjudicate some issues, maybe some dad issues? I just want to make sure it sounds good. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Hey, tell John thanks. I'd love to, but I we're not set up for that right now. Maybe mm-hmm. another time. And I've got to I got to just make sure that the knobs and dials work, and then I got to go do my work. That's okay. Good. Thank Thank you, John. Of all the of, <laughs> Merlin wants to say thank you again. Uh, of all the people in my <laughs> life, how would it even work? I can't even hear him. I know. I know. Well, I could just translate everything he says to all you. Right, give me one. All right. Here he goes. Right, Merlin, over here. Go ahead. He wants something to adjudicate. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, I found a note to my daughter, a love note to my daughter in her backpack. Should I acknowledge that, ignore it, or something else? Merlin found a love note to his daughter in her backpack. Should he acknowledge it or should he leave it alone or some third option? She is not old enough to be receiving love letters in my what is her age her she's uh john john please tell john she's eight years of age and it is it is reciprocated she's eight years of age and it seems like the love feelings are reciprocated is it clear that the letter is from a 45 year old man on the internet um john could you please tell john it's written in a nearly indecipherable scrawl it's nearly indecipherably scrawled but I think that's unclear of, about the age. Because if I had written her a love letter, it would also be in, incomprehensible. Uh, take a picture of it if you ever need it for evidence. But otherwise, let your daughter begin to cultivate her own inner life. John, could you please thank uh, Judge John Hodgman for me? Of course. Uh, uh, Merlin sends his thanks, his gratitude and appreciation. All right. He's got to do his work. Yeah, he I, has to do his work. I have, a story, I have a story that I could tell you about one of my own children but it's their private life. That's right. Private lives. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Yeah. Let him I'm do his work. A, Let him do his work. You, you go. Thank you so much for the top shelf engineering. Do you need any water? Uh, I would like a water. <laughs> you know, a hot tea? I would like a hot tea. I don't have a hot tea. Well, can you bring me some kind of refreshment? Room temp? Uh, yeah, room temp. Thank you. Wow. <clears throat> You're not a man who'll turn down a beverage. No, I like a room temperature beverage. I used to. I uh, I, I sent you a picture of the note. Don't don't share it with the audience, but you can look at it. Okay. Um, the um, did you send it here to to my uh, oh, John, John Hodgman address, or did I you send did. it to my 
to my John Roderick address. I sent it to, I texted it to you, and I sent John a picture of my dick. This is yeah. weird. I, wrong window. Sorry. R- wrong window. Yeep. No, he yeah. can't hear you. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, I used to, I used to be, I, I still am to some extent a multi-beverage man. I think I've told you this at some point. Around the time I discovered you scotch. Leghorn. Uh, so, here, Merlin, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm being given two options. One is a Pepsi uh, pint glass from 1973 Warner Brothers branding. Arby's. That's an Arby's glass. It's an Arby's glass, and it's uh, and it has the character Foghorn Leghorn on it. Oh my god! And the other one appears to be a hand thrown ceramic mug with a screen printed face of a very serious looking Lyndon Baines Johnson. Oh god! And I'm gonna say it's LBJ uh, pre Kennedy administration. He appears to be. Well, wait a minute. Uh, it might be it might be Vice President Lyndon Baines Johnson. It's before he was president for sure. See, so I'm, which I'm, one I'm trying to I'm trying to adjudicate this in in a in a reasonable and fair way. I know he has to get back to his work. Uh, if it were me and it was room temperature water, I would absolutely take. No, but I'll just like leave one. them both here. Oh, okay. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Could you thank John for me? Yeah, Merlin would like to re- uh, reiterate his thanks. For all your all your support, I can't gonna, do my work. We're gonna cut all this out. No, you, no, no, we never cut anything out. This is a cameo. You kidding me? You know what this would cost? Uh, Check in with me when you're done. <laughs> okay, thank you, Dad. <laughs> all right, so you know this is I've been I've yeah. been recording a lot of podcasts lately uh, remotely, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and that, this, that includes your, your your bathtub in the bath and in the uh, in the streets. And uh, now I'm here. I'm here at the uh, at the famous Judge John Hodgman Chambers. Yeah, with the velvet curtains and the enormous desk. Do you, Do you feel like you're out of material? Are you resorting to stunts, or is this a happenstance thing? Is it experimenting? Are you having a crisis? It's just It's just the way it worked out. What, what's leading you to all of these novel locations? I don't know. I'm not really somebody that that does stunts. I uh, I got I got you know I got sick, and then you got re sick. I got re sick. But I think what happened was I, I received as a gift that uh, that pretty neat B-caster microphone. Yeah, that thing's weird looking. It's weird looking, and uh, but it plugs into my laptop. And I had, I had done the thing where I moved my computer to the office. I eliminated the possibility of podcasting from my home, partly or almost entirely, to get me out of the house and into another location where my work could conceivably happen. Mm-hmm. But then I got this microphone, and one when I was on the RV trip, I I uh, podcasted from California, and then I realized how easy it was to just pl- plug and play. Mm-hmm. I was plugging and playing, and then I said, and see, and it's a it's a those kinds of mics tend to be very forgiving. Even when I became a nominally professional podcaster, I still use the same mic I'd used since two thousand four, two thousand five, because you just plug it in, it goes, and plug and play. It's idiot proof. And the, the one I'm using right now is Hodgman's uh, Rode, Rude, uh, and it's a USB mic. Is it a white mic? Uh, no, it's sort of black. It looks like a, I mean, in all honesty, it looks like a butt plug. I was going to say, does it look a little bit like Coit Tower combined with a sex toy? Uh, it's like a short Coit. Okay. A uh, short Coit. Because a, a, a Rode is what I use. This is very interesting oh. stuff for our listeners. That's that's what I used for years until like the last you know couple three years. That's, well, that's always what I used. Is he has one of those like radio station articulated mic booms? Oh, the articulated boom. I'm looking from his Skype profile photo. 
Yeah. Which is actually one of the less creepy pictures I've seen of him in the last five years. He's yeah. uh, he's he's doing like a kind of a computer selfie talking into uh, a hanging mic. Yeah, right. I mean, his uh, right now his beard is sort of in the. Uh, do you remember the movie Big Trouble? It's a little in Little China. Never saw it, but I but I know the film. Yeah. Well, uh, he's he's got a beard that sort of would not be out of place in that film. But you know, my podcast's mic holding setup is just a it's a desk stand which is to say a normal mic stand that's only eight inches high. Oh, is this the character played by James Hong? That's right. Oh, I love that guy. Yeah, James Hong, very good. He plays, the, uh, he plays Kung Fu Panda's dad. Yeah, that's he, right. He's, he's, also, he's also the uh, Chinese restaurant guy on Seinfeld. That's right. Five, that's right. ten minutes. And he, uh, he is looking for a girl with green eyes. In Aren't we all? Book, Aren't China. we all, John? Yeah. And so, but Hodgman's beard now has definitely become a little bit, how do you say, how you say, uh, scraggly, scraggly. <laughs> anyway, so he's got this boom mic, which makes me feel like I'm doing a radio interview in a like radio station. Yeah. But many of those I have done. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, so I keep, my, I keep my microphone in my hand, in my lap. When we normally record. My goodness. Uh, and that's why when I started recording in my bed and then also in my bathtub, I, I wasn't sure what to do with that mic. And so that picture of me recording in my bed, it's actually on my chest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I couldn't do that in the bath. Anyway, no. so I, I don't, I'm, I'm not, uh, this isn't a, it's not a series of, of gags. I'm stunt, just, the stunt is not a value judgment. You got to keep things fresh. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I feel like I feel like Merlin. Our show is evergreen. We never yeah. run out of. It's I mean, always it's been always green. Yeah, always, no, I, I, I agree. I think there will always be, uh, always be something here. Um, there's always something there to remind us. Bump, bump. Yeah, I like Burt Bacharach. I had you a Burt Bacharach. I do. I had a a Burt Bacharach box set. Burt Bacharach box set uh-huh. that I got that I got in uh, 1998 that I uh, that I adored. That's back when we had uh, compact disc records. Uh, that's right. Compact discs, which used to, until very recently, uh, seemed like they were going to be the 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 way that I earned a living. Who, brother? You remember that? Somebody said to me the other day, they were like, do you want to buy compact discs? They were being, you know, kind of smug, snide, pro-streaming. Oh, was, it like, a, was it a millennial, John? It was a millennial. And yeah. they said, do you want to buy a compact disc? And I said, I never wanted to buy a compact disc. What I wanted to do was sell them to people. Yeah, I had no personal interest in them. But I wanted to sell them, and I cannot sell whatever I stream. Sell you can't stream sell. You can't sell stream. No, that's not. That doesn't belong to me. I'm not the owner of stream. I don't know how up to date you are on this, John. But the the streaming model is not earning artists a lot of money. I don't know that's if you're what, aware of this. I've heard. And what uh, now? What I further understand is it's not really earning money for anybody. Is that true? Didn't somebody just report? Some you know some fewer earnings than they expected. Some there might, there might be there might be fewer earnings. I mean you know there's a lot of infrastructure to that. Yeah, uh, it's a you know it's an ecosystem. Uh, yeah. I think it's very challenging to people. And uh, you know, what was his name? Uh, Dean uh, Dean Werheim. Dean sounds Wormer? Like, sounds like something in the 80s comedy. Uh, the Dean Wormer? Uh, for a second there, I <laughs> let's all you, jump in the pool. I thought you said it was an ecosystem, and I was like, uh, I was like the new pornographers. Oh no no! I was thinking of the one from the Velvet Underground who died on the bike. Right. She no. died on a bike. She, I think An she died on a bike. No, I think she was a French bike. Nico bike. I think she died on a bike, but I'm not. No, that might have been. Now, what about the lady from uh, Radio Lab from Stereo Lab? She had a bike accident too. The the Radio Lab lady uh, had uh, had a bike accident. I think that was a long time ago. Didn't they? Didn't they it's have a, ter- a Stereo Lab bike? 
accident. You know, yeah. Sonny Bono died in a skiing accident. Yeah. And also uh, that Kennedy. There was a Kennedy that died in a skiing accident. I don't know, buddy. When I hear something happen with skiing, uh, my, the alarm bells go off for me. Well, this is the thing. That, sound, that sounds like a jam up, John. I've skied my whole life, and I've had a lot of accidents, some of them horrific uh, accidents that we, would, that we used to call the yard sale accident because um, from the point where you initially contact the snow to the point where you finally come to rest, you leave little bits of yourself, all your garments, all of your equipment just in a long, long sort of skid mark. Oh, my God, like a, like a Wiley Coyote accident? <laughs> yeah, because you're going so fast that when, you've, when you lose it, and there's that, there's that pregnant moment. You're skiing, and then you realize that you are going to go down. Like something happens. You catch an edge or something is awful. And there's that moment. You're flying through the air, and you're like, oh, shit. And then when you hit, when you contact, and you start to, I mean, that first contact, and then you are just flying through the air, tumbling. And the first thing you lose are your skis. Mm-hmm. And then your hat and goggles, and then inexplicably your gloves. Just your, you know, your gloves just come off for some reason, and your poles. And then snow is being stuffed into your nose and mouth because you're still going forty miles an hour. And then Ugh. all this other stuff comes off your jacket somehow, your boots. Uh, not actually your boots. That would be really hard. But you know, by the time you come to a rest, yeah, you can be really fucked up. But to die, and usually I think it's that they hit a tree. I think Sonny Bono hit a tree, but I'm not sure. But even that, like, hit a tree? Yeah. He's Sonny Bono. How fast is he fucking going? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, like I'm trying to picture Sonny Bono at a speed where – he would go out of control and hit a tree hard enough to die. And I, Oh, this is I, just, just nearby. This is out of heavenly. I've been thinking about this for years. Oh, how did goodness. this, how did this go down? I and I, know. and I really wish there were some crime scene photos of Sonny, like wrapped around a tree so I could get a mental picture of it. Oh my goodness. And, uh, it says here it, his, uh, I, I don't mean to, I don't mean to, uh, you know, I got you babe on his grave, but, uh, uh after his death, Mary Bono told an interviewer, Sonny had been addicted to uh, Vicodin and Valium. Oh dear. Do you think he was skiing under the influence? This is a thing. Oh, oh I, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, Douglas County Coroner said uh, no indication of substances or alcohol. That seems like a careless wording, but. That's good. No substances no, of any kind. No, there's no chemicals. It happened completely in a vacuum. Uh, that does I, sound very suspicious. It was, you know, there was always a divide between skiers who would ski drunk and skiers who wouldn't. And then there were, you know, like I loved to, to ski stoned. It's one of the great feelings because you really, you recognize like, wow, I'm hurtling down a mountain. It's, this is amazing. This is, this is like, um, singular, right? To yeah. be, when you're, when, when you're, when you ski all the time, you just feel like, oh yeah, this is my normal thing. But when you really realize what you're doing, you're way, way high up on a mountain in the middle of winter which is a condition you would not otherwise be in, right? It's, it's kind of a fantastical position to be in. If you had to climb there in the winter, it would be amazing. But you ride a chair up there and then you're, you're just flying down it. And so when you're stoned, you, you're aware of all that in a different way and you're just like, this is incredible. 
But a lot of my friends would get drunk on wine and ski. And that always seemed insane. Like all it does is, is deprive you of coordination. It doesn't give you any feeling of like, whoa. It just makes you floppy. Yeah. I used so to I be kind of a connoisseur, even before my days of discovering whiskey. I, I used to be kind of a connoisseur of picking the right substance for a given situation. Because getting that wrong, you don't want to do that. And I can see that. Skiing and, and weed sounds like a match made in, uh, you know, heavenly. Skiing and weed, I don't mean to, to cross by. To cross-pollinate podcasts, but skiing weed and mountain, mountain dew. Mountain dew, yeah, yeah. In what, what could be better? Uh, section 3.1, religion, of uh, Sonny Bono's profile. I, I don't, we'll probably have to cut this out. Uh, he became interested in Scientology and took Scientology oh, courses. Uh-oh. Partly uh-oh. because now of the influence. all of a sudden we have new listeners to our podcast. Yeah, welcome. Uh, partly because of the influence of Mimi Rogers. He stated he was Roman Catholic on all official documents. His wife, Mary, also took Scientology courses. However, however... After yeah. his death, Mary Bono stated that, quote, Sonny did try to break away at one point, and they made it very difficult for him, unquote. Wow. And you know he the tried, church said? He, the church he, denied any estrangement from Bono. He tried to get out, but they pulled him they back pulled in. Pulled him back in. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe uh, with the help of a Scientologist tree. So is it? Is it? do you think they took him down to the desert outside of Palm Springs and put him in a shipping container and... Whacked him with the sagebrush or whatever it is they do down there. It could be, could be, it could be that he, uh, he, you know, checked his mail someday and like get one of the special offers you get, right? Like you with, with, with you get a cruise or a vacation. Yeah. You know, maybe he thought, oh, worst case, it's a timeshare, but I get to uh-huh. go skiing at Heavenly. It's a Heavenly timeshare. It turned out to be a special offer to not leave the Church of Scientology. <laughs> Mister Bono, I'm not going to lie to you. This is an offer we make exactly once. <laughs> Listen, we have a we have a one time offer to not leave the Church of Scientology. Heavenly is a nice name for a place. That's I've never nice skied name. there, and I'm embarrassed to say, I really am embarrassed to say it. You know, I think I may say things on this podcast that would embarrass other people to say. Yeah. But, I'm, not, I'm not worried about them. But I'm not embarrassed to say those things, but I'm, I'm genuinely embarrassed to say what I'm about to say. Okay. Which is that I have not skied that many places. Well, why like, would you be embarrassed to say that? Well, because... You know, skiing was a big part of my identity when I was growing up. Right. And and I've been to Europe many times, but I've never skied there. I've been to all 50 states, but I have only skied in Alaska, Washington, and Idaho. Hmm. I've never skied in Colorado. Oh, no. Yeah, no. I've never skied in Colorado. I've hmm. never skied in Utah. I've never even skied in Wyoming. I've skied in Idaho, Washington, and Alaska. Now, I've never even been to Mount Hood. And and it just feels like for all of the for all of the like adventuring that I supposedly do, that that just I don't know what I think I feel like it reflects poorly on me. Hmm. That I should have been, you know, I've been to Andorra. I stood at the foot of the ski mountain. I've played rock music at the Sundance Film Festival stood at the foot of the ski mountain, but I just never, I didn't, because going skiing in a, in a strange mountain is such a pain in the ass, right? You have to go rent all your stuff. You have to dedicate a whole day to it. You wake up early, find a set of gloves somewhere. You know, it's not, it's not a sport that you can just spontaneously, but I, but people do it all the time. They spontaneously go skiing all the time. Spontaneous skiing is a thing. Yeah. I'm just not a spontaneous skier, and that, and the result of that is that I've never, I've just, I've skied in these three states. 
God, I'm embarrassed to say it. Hmm. I just I feel I feel like a, a coat of shame. I feel like there are going to be people that write me and say and just basically like go nah 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 ha ha. Oh, you're going to lose cred <clears throat> yeah. in the uh, promiscuous skiing community. All these people that have skied at Zermatt or have skied at uh, Garmisch Partenkirchen, Squaw Valley Snowbird, Park Squaw City, Heavenly, Grindelwald, Aspen, Monte San Lorenzo, Beaver uh, Creek. These are all places listed yeah. on the Wikipedia page for a list of skiing deaths. Yeah. Oh, skiing deaths. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to cross references with people who may or may not be Scientologists. How many? What about Natasha Richardson? Was she a Scientologist? Was she the one that was in that James Bond movie where it seemed implausible that she was a nuclear physicist? Oh, no. That's probably Denise Richards. Oh, Denise Richards, not Natasha Richardson. Which Uh. one dated the guy uh, with the drug problem? Oh. (laughs) Oh, which one dated the guy with the drug problem? Was that Uh, Kate? Kate Estevez. Oh, uh, oh, that's you know what? Charlie no, no. Yes, yes, that's also I think Denise Richards. Okay, all right. Denise, Denise Richards. Richards. She was that, that that pretty girl in magazines in the nineties. She's in the James her, Bond. I didn't find her pretty. I She's not your her, type. Not your her type. Her nose was very unusual. Hmm. It got, got in the way for you, huh? Do you not? Well, that's no. This is the thing. I like a nose that kind of gets in the way, and her nose yeah. seemed like it had been whittled down, so there wasn't anything <sighs> to get in the way. Yeah. Right. It seemed like it seemed like a small nose. Basically, if your nose is capable of getting nectar from a flower, um, <laughs> if your nose is capable of getting nectar from a flower, you might be a hummingbird. <laughs> you might be a hummingbird. If you have I'm, a prominent proboscis and like to ski. I'm so glad that our that our southern lawyer uh, made <laughs> it. That's kind of my Jeff Foxworthy. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you get her done. Oh, epidural hematoma. That's a shame. That'd be a pretty name for a girl. And then, uh, yeah, so the, the woman, Mary Hansen from Stereolab, uh, died in a bike accident. I wonder if there's a list of famous bike deaths. Bike accident. Yeah. You know, uh, a good friend of mine who plays drums in the band Keen, mm-hmm. Richard, he is a real advocate for bike safety in London. Wow. Yeah, so he's talking all the time. I see a lot of, of helmet cam videos from the streets around London where bicyclists are on like these kind of ridiculously narrow bike paths and then some angry lorry driver will intentionally run them off the road because there's a lot of, apparently a lot of hatred of bicycle culture in the UK. Oh man. Which sort of, you know, it just is a it's a a um it's a corollary to just the general hatred that's in the UK. But it's directed at bicyclists. It's, but it's a civil kind of hatred. No, I think if you're running someone off the road, the the question of civility has already been answered. Hmm. All right, agree to disagree. Yeah. Right. Oh, you think that you can? You think you can run a? I think it's a little bit. It's a little bit. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, Americocentric for you to not be sensitive to the subtleties of uh, the class distinctions in in the United Kingdom. Well, I don't know. I'm not here to judge. I mean, some people eat dogs, you know? I've spent a lot of time over there, and I feel like I have a pretty good sense of how deeply uh, deeply sublimated their... British people seem seem angry. Yeah. Well, you know, they used to have uh, an empire that spanned the globe. The sun never Mm -hmm. sat. Mm -hmm. The sun never sat on the British Empire. Now it sits on the British Empire every morning. Just as long as it wants. It just sits there. And uh, the British Empire is trying to get out from under the sun's butt. Yep. And it cannot. And that butt. makes them mad. Sure. Uh, yeah, sure. Then you got Venezuela. 
You know, you got the changes in oil prices. It's a complicated time for everyone. They're not making any money from streaming. It's a tough time. Well, and, that, and that's affecting Cuba, right? Venezuela used to used to fund Cuba with their with their extra oil money. It's like a big game of diplomacy, and nobody's winning. Yeah, it's a, it's like the game of Clue, right? Where your where your country acquires a bunch of wheat and then trades the wheat for the candlestick. All right, you you sank my battleship. Exactly. Same thing. Exactly. I feel hmm. like I feel like are we are we are we troping ourselves? Hmm? <coughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you in part by Braintree. Looking to set up payments for your business? Braintree gives your app or website a payment solution that accepts just about every payment method with one simple integration. Plus, Braintree will give you the first fifty thousand dollars in transactions fee free. To learn more right now, visit BraintreePayments.com slash supertrain. Maybe you're working on the next Uber. Airbnb or GitHub, then why not use the same simple payment solution that helped them become what they are today? Braintree makes mobile payments so fast, easy, and seamless, it's almost magical. Add it to your app with just a few lines of code, and you're instantly ready to accept Apple Pay, Android Pay, PayPal, Venmo, credit cards, even Bitcoin. And if some other way happens to come along, believe me, Braintree will be there to support that too. Braintree's fast payouts and continuous support mean you'll always be ready whether you're earning your first dollar or your billionth. See fewer abandoned carts and more sales with Braintree's best-in-class mobile checkout experience. you got to check this out for yourself by going to braintreepayments.com slash supertrain. Our thanks to Braintree for supporting Roderick on the Lawn. Yeah, yeah, do you ever get that feeling? That we're, that we're troping ourselves. Yeah, right. Where, you know, for a long time, people try to trope you. They try to trope, you- how, would they, how would they go about that? Oh, you know, they trope you like you, you walk oh, like into online it. troping. It's kind of like almost like online bullying. Yeah. You, you say like, oh, that person's a trope or whatever. Oh, like troping ourselves. You mean like uh, we're, we're like descending into self-parody? Well, yeah. I mean, you and I have never really said hashtag super trained to each other. <laughs> right. Other people say hashtag super trained to us. Yeah. Yeah. But if we start super training one another. Yeah. Right. We're, we're then we're in trouble. You're flying too close to the sun's butt right now, my friend. All right. All right. I'll back Wax off. wings. Mary, Mary Hansen. Uh, she died. This is not funny. She died in a, now I'm on the page, Wikipedia page for uh, cycling road accident deaths. And yeah, Nico, Nico, uh, from the velvet underground. She, uh, she went that way. A lot it's, of people I don't recognize. You know, you want, you want your famous people to die of drugs, right? Yeah. You don't want them to die. It's like, you know, if you're a soldier, there's nothing more honorable. You know, than than going down in the Ardennes or whatever, of, right? Oh, I see. Not to die of drugs. No, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't want to be. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know that much about about the military. But you know, I mean, it makes sense that if you're if you're in, uh, I don't know. I mean, see again, I don't want to be culturally insensitive. But yeah, that's how you want people to die. You want them to die of a drug overdose or like a sex overdose. Although I don't know anybody that's ever that's ever happened to, <laughs> except for Goldie Hawn's husband in Private Benjamin, right? Oh, is that, and that was that the precipitating, that was the event that led her to want to join the uh, active military? I don't think she wanted to join. I feel like she, her, her husband was going to afford her a very comfortable life. Yeah. And then he died on the bathroom floor on their wedding night. Is that true? Yeah, well. That's, that's so sad. What a horrible, what a horrible way to begin a comedy. Yeah, go go to uh, go to the Wikipedia page for, for famous private, private, Benjamin. private Benjamin deaths. And then for some reason, I'm not sure why, right? Because uh, she would have inherited his. Maybe he didn't have any money, or maybe his family fought her for the inheritance, or something. Seems like it was on her wedding night. She already would have been able to. Well, for whatever reason, she. Oh my gosh, forced. her husband was Albert Brooks, John. 
No. That's what it says here on Wikipedia, Albert Brooks. Really? He died on their wedding night uh, during sex, or, or as you say, intercourse. Coitus. Coitus. And then she was forced to become a private in the army. <gasps> She's recruited by a sneaky recruiting sergeant played by, wait for it, Harry Dean Stanton. No, come on. Harry, this can't it says here be, on Wikipedia, he's a Jim Ballard played by Harry Dean Stanton. This can't be that much of an all-star cast. This is amazing. I bet you Emmett Walsh is in here somewhere. I remember feeling like Private Benjamin was, it, it really acquitted itself well to my, what, 12-year-old mind? What year was it? 1980. See, so this is, I was 12 years old. You're 12 years old. And I thought Private Benjamin was just the jam. But wait a minute, what year was Stripes? Stripes, I'm going to call that one uh, 81, but I'll check. All right. So, I mean, one of these, one of these things presaged the other, right? One of them. You, yeah, there was, there was definitely some Reitman in the air. 1981, you got the movie Stripes. I see. So, so. Lighten Private up, Benjamin. Francis. Private Benjamin inspired, can you say that? Private Benjamin inspired Stripes? Would, would, is, that, is that too risky? Oh, to I, see, well, I see. I think I see where you're going with this. Is, there, is somebody, is some film major going to say, no, 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 no? See, I'm thinking, I'm thinking the pivot I'm thinking of is Private Benjamin seems to me maybe inspired a little bit by something along the lines of an Alice doesn't live here anymore. See now that's a that's a thing I that's a reference I don't get. What happened in Alice? Well, you love the you love the TV program uh, Alice with Linda Lavin and Vic Tabak. Oh, is that is that a movie from the TV show or a TV show from the no, movie? No, 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 no. Uh, uh, in uh, in the, the early ish seventies, uh, the great uh, Martin Scorsese, I call him Marty, had a yeah. film called Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, and that's the movie upon which the uh, the TV show is based. Linda so the, the titular character uh, had to leave a, a failing marriage and she took her, she took her like preteen son and... Yeah, early to rise, early to bed, in between, she cooked and cleaned, went out of her head. She went to, went to Phoenix. Well, by the time she got to Phoenix... Yeah. Uh, and then she met Mel and Flo. Was it a comedy? Uh, it didn't seem it was like Scorsese a, did a lot of comedy. It was a com comedy. I think also that's the first time I ever heard the Mott the Hoople song all the way from Memphis, I think was the song. It was either that or maybe an Elton John song. But I remember having a good soundtrack. Marty's always done good soundtracks. Yeah, true true enough. It might have been that uh, one from his uh, his Cowboy concept album I'm thinking of. I feel like during the during that period, I feel like I was pretty traumatized by Kramer versus Kramer. Oh, boy. And it was hard for me to watch uh, any kind of divorce, like late seventies divorce. Sure, porn. sure, sure. Um, divorce porn. Yeah, that's a good way know, to put it. Yeah, like, that's what it was. Uh, but except, Goodbye Girl was one of the great examples. I mean, Goodbye Girl. If every movie could be like Goodbye Girl, am I right? Do you do you feel that way? Um, I see. Now this is my ski shame. I, I don't. I don't think I've ever seen that. Uh, that no, that play. can't be true. I know. Are you serious? I mean, I just, you know I just realized something. By the way, Ellen Burstyn and Eileen Brennan are different people. Did you know that? <sighs> Which one died in a bike accident? I'm not sure. Ellen Burstyn was the one in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Eileen Brennan was the one in Private Benjamin. Eileen Burstyn was a she was a comedian, right? No, you're you might be thinking of Ellen Barkin. Oh, I'm thinking of Ellen Barkin, who, who's also not a comedian. Ellen Burstyn and Eileen Barkin and uh, what was the last one? Uh, Arlene, Arlene, Brennan, Brennan, Arlene Brennan, Eileen Barkin, mm -hmm. and Ellen Burstyn. Degenerous, yeah. 
Uh, all are different people. That's right. Uh, Ellen Burstyn was born Edna Ray Galuli, which is an awesome name. Ed, Edna Ray Galuli. She's born in Detroit. She's uh, 83 years old now. If I were David Letterman, I would now say Galuli, Galuli. 40 times during the show. I don't have a joke here. I just like saying no. Galuli. Oh, she was Gal- in uh, Same Time Next Year. That's, that was the, I remember seeing that. That was with Alan Alda, the guy from MASH. I don't, everyone knows who Alan Alda is. Well, I, that's not true. Mesh, Mesh went off the air 30, 33 years ago. Oh, boy. I want to get back to Goodbye Girl. Yeah, you I still didn't get to talk about my beverages, but but that's okay. I really want... Let's go back. Let's. Goodbye let's, Girl is referenced by many, many people. It's one of those things where, like, I, it's weird that I missed that, but if, I feel like Goodbye Girl... What was What's the joke? What, what Was it Seinfeld? Was there some show where they kept referencing Goodbye Girl and not wanting the other person to realize it? That was in... A, that was in oh, my gosh. Did you know Ellen Burstyn's a Sufi? That's interesting. Been married three times. I, I I would never have known that. I'm still not able to picture El, El, Eileen Burstyn. Eileen uh, Eileen DeGeneres. Now Ellen Burstyn has been married three times. She hasn't been married since 1972. The thing is, I would be following along here, but I can't get the hyper corners on John Hodgman's enormous Mac computer to activate. Oh, is he still using a Mac? Um, oh, here they are. Here's That's the nice. hyper, here's the hyper corners. Okay. Um, um, are you using expose john what, what's uh, what's going on you know i've noticed that a lot of people use chrome i use chrome uh, I, I well that's i that comports with what i was just saying about a lot of people i'm one of them but uh but i always in, i just go to safari people like safari it comes on the mac i don't i'm not sure that i like it Mm-mm. you know what i don't like any of the map programs anymore Oh, you giving up, huh? I used to like Google Maps. I even I never liked Apple Maps. You used to love I, Google Earth. Google Earth, you could just you would just sit there for hours looking at uh, forests in Czechoslovakia. Yeah, now, well, I believe me, I zoomed in on so many forests in Czechoslovakia, looking for specific details on the ground. Right, right? Like, where was that obelisk or whatever? Sure, hours and hours. But now. Every time I load one of those map programs, I'll be standing on the street, right? And there's like a truck bearing down on me. And I'm like, which way do I go? And I load a map. I load Google Maps. And the program has become stupider and stupider over time. So now it can never figure out where I am. It can't intuit what I'm asking it, which is show me a map, right? It wants to think that I want something that I don't. It's got too much, like it has just enough agency to not realize that I just want a map, but not mm. enough agency to really divine what I'm asking it to do, which is generally show me a map. Um, hmm. It's very frustrating. All right, hang on. I'm putting in Eileen Burstyn. Ellen Burstyn. Also, yes, it was All the Way from Memphis by Mott the Hoople was the song that I was thinking of from Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Also, Jodie Foster was in uh, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Also, Harvey Keitel. How did I miss this film? I don't know. Diane Ladd was in it. Now, Diane Ladd, I could easily confuse her with uh, Ellen, Ellen Burstyn and Eileen oh, Brennan. Ellen Burstyn. Ellen Burstyn. Right. Oh, she was she's in lots a, of things. She was. She was. She's a, she's a Sufi. I, so I was watching. So the other night I watched the television show Girls mm-hmm. for the first time. I don't know if you've seen this TV I, show. I've seen, I've seen the show Girls, yeah. And uh, I got, enjoyed uh, it. It's got uh, uh, Ryla Kiley in it, the guy that played Ryla Kiley. Uh, yeah, the guy, the guy the, that's uh, that's uh, the the Darth Vader's grandson. He's the he's the guy who never has a shirt oh, on. On that's girls. right, that's right, that's right. Right, got, got the ears. Yeah, who who was in that super annoying movie where he was like a he was playing the the fun millennial character that the two middle aged people wanted to be friends with. 
Oh, okay. It was sort of like a movie based on the idea of girls, but seen from the perspective of some middle-aged people that wanted to stay relevant. Mm. Uh, it was pretty hard to watch. But uh, anyway, watching the show. Did you start at the beginning? No, I started in the middle. Um, but I, and, and I don't normally do that, but it was just like, uh, this is too much to figure out how to watch this show. I don't know if I want to watch it figure itself out. I'm just going to start in the middle of season two. But a couple of things happened. One, I liked it quite a bit. Two, I realized that the music was by Michael Penn. And the music was spectacular. He's pretty good. And also, a lot of the bit characters, the the like moms and dads in the show, like the moms and dads of the characters, uh, of the main characters, are all played by sitcom stars from the 80s that were like the mom of one of the characters was the, was the cute girl from the New Heart show. Uh, when he moved up to Vermont and had the lodge, remember oh. the blonde girl that was kind of cute and she was kind of perky and a little. She was kind of the Diane of that show a little yeah, bit. Yeah, she was the Diane, and her husband on the Newhart show was the guy from um, Bosom Buddies, who was oh Peter Hanks. Peter Scolari, the guy who wasn't Tom Hanks. And Peter Scolari also appears oh, in Girls. I love Peter Scolari, but not married to the to the gal from Newhart. But a different, he's a different dad. A little bit of a switch him up. A little switch him up. And I'm watching the show and I'm just like, oh my goodness, like all these, all these stars that were like the young, beautiful stars. I'm, of, a, I'm such a, I have to admit, I am such a sucker for that. Oh yeah. I mean, and, you know, when it's done, like when it's done well, the, uh, the good, the good eighties cameo, there's an, I watched an episode the other night of Parks and Rec with John Larroquette, uh, playing a completely unhinged, like very insecure man in his like 60s or 70s and it was great you get to play against type it's fun yeah peter scolari i'm glad he's out there i always you know this is the confusing thing now there's not going to be a lot of people listening to this program that have ever seen bosom buddies but bosom buddies was very influential show oh i had strong feelings about that show yeah i did too and it wasn't that was like a show that was made for me at that 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 was right in the pocket for me that was that was my humor oh that was funny me too and uh, and the premise was that tom hanks before he was famous Hmm. And uh, Peter Scolari were uh, like Tootsie. It's a pre-Tootsie show. Was it pre-Tootsie? I think it was pre-Tootsie. I think it influenced Tootsie. I think when Tootsie came out, I was like, this is just the plot of Bosom oh Buddies. Oh my God, I think you're right. It came out like two years after uh, after Bosom Buddies. Yeah, right. Bosom Buddies is uh, is kind of Private Benjamin era, right? Or Stripes yeah. era. No, no, you're right. It, uh, it came out in uh, 1980. No, sorry, sorry, sorry. I take it back. So wait, Bosom Buddies canceled in 1982, already canceled by 1982. Canceled by 82. So this show, right, they were, they were trying to live in New York. It there was expensive to live in New York. two young maverick guys who wanted to break into advertising. Right. And there's no way they could afford the, the rents of Manhattan. Which seems crazy considering that in 1980, it was not expensive to live in Manhattan. Not, not anywhere near as expensive as it is now. Anyway, so they lived in an all-girl like a YWCA, basically, like mm-hmm. an apartment building for single women. And, oh, the hijinks that ensued. But what was confusing to me was that at the time, watching the show, I preferred the Peter Scolari character. Yeah. He was the one I liked, right? I mean... He was, he was the Luke to Tom Hanks as Tom, uh, Tom Solo, Han Solo a little bit. Like, uh, it was easier to relate to Peter Scolari, who was kind yeah. of the, the sidekick. He was the second banana. 
Yeah, but Tom Hanks seemed kind of gangly, and Peter Scolari was, you know, like everybody liked Starsky. Nobody wanted to be Hutch. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. In the same way that everybody wanted to be Luke Duke instead of Bo Duke. You think so? Did you want to be Bo Duke? I think I think Bo Duke is is Rick from The Walking Dead. Well, let me get this right. Luke Duke is, is you know what? It doesn't matter. You're not watching the show. Uh, yes, maybe. But I also I often wanted to be the person who was the person I wasn't supposed to want to be. I liked Luke more than Han in the first movie when I was a little. No, kid. no, it's cool. Ludicrous. It's cool to say. It's cool to say you want to be Han Solo. But I was totally a, a Luke person as, that as can't a kid. Be true. He was a he was so whiny. Well. All right. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to, I'm not trying no, to. No, it's okay. It's fine. Wanna, it's fine. It's a little well on the nose. I don't want to Luke shame you. Well, look at the way they would dress up on that show. On Bosom Buddies? So they had to, they had to, as I, this is not a word we use anymore, but they had to dress in what used to be called drag. That's right. Do right? we not say drag anymore? I'm, I'm steering clear of the whole thing. I see. But they would have to wear makeup and wigs, and a lot of the humor, uh, initial humor, was derived out of the uh, the some like it hotness of right. these two living in this lady's hotel. And of course, then you got Sunny. I think her name was. This is uh, uh, this is this Dan Aykroyd's wife. That Dan knew their, wife. Yeah, uh, that knew their shtick. Right, she was well, in on the game. No, that was wasn't that Amy Jo Sperber. That seems like a fake name. That <laughs> totally seems Amy fake. Amy Joe Sperber would be my drag name. But Tom Hanks' character, whose name I don't remember, was uh, infatuated by, uh, by uh, Dan Aykroyd's wife, Donna Dixon. Right. And she met Dan Aykroyd during the filming of Dr. Detroit, one of the all-time great films. Mom, I'm going to rip off your head and shit down your neck. <laughs> Boy, Dan Aykroyd has had two really inexplicable movies. That, that and... Uh, and uh, Nothing But Trouble. Two movies that are very hard to understand. Who, Dr. Detroit and Nothing But Trouble? Yeah. I was watching, what's that movie? Oh, Burn After Reading. Burn After Reading. Is that a movie? Uh, it's a Coen Brothers movie. Oh. And, you know, I was thinking a lot about this. Like, the Coen Brothers make some movies that are very serious. And they also make some movies that are very funny. And then they make those movies in between that are mm -hmm. neither serious nor funny. And those are the ones that really baffle me. And Burn After Reading is in that category. Burn After Reading. Like, I think, the, I think what a, a serious man probably counts on that a little bit. Um, yeah. No, I, you, boy, I, I love their movies. Oh. Well, as normally I do too, but this is a movie that, that has all-star cast, right? John Malkovich mm -hmm. and sure. uh, Brad, Brad Pitt and uh, George Clooney. I feel like maybe what it is is that if George Clooney is in a Coen Brothers movie, it the chances are it's not going to be one of their good ones. Oh, really? I feel like that may be true. I mean, everybody likes uh, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's it it's a great exercise. I don't, I don't It's not something I, I return to like so I would return to the Big Lebowski. Exercise. Huh? It's an exercise. Right. That's exactly right. Like, or like, you know, like Hail Caesar. I'm anxious to see Hail Caesar when it gets to where I can watch it. I saw it. And it's got George Clooney. Verdict? Exactly what what's, what's, how do you adjudicate? That's what I'm saying. Oh, if, boy. Let me, let me put it this way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Picture George Clooney in The Big Lebowski. Do you oh, want him there? I don't know. I, I think you do. Are I, you saying I, you don't like The Big Lebowski? I love The Big Lebowski. I just don't want George Clooney there. Uh, I think yeah. if George Clooney was there, The Big Lebowski would be a lesser film. And I say that as a George Clooney. I like George Clooney. I do too. Big fan. I like him. I thought he was really good in the one about, uh, about uh, the one. Oh, the, the torture one? Uh, 
No. The the one where he puts uh, Jennifer Lopez in a, in a trunk? No, that was good, though. That was a good movie. Oh, that was a good movie. Oh, boy, the chemistry they had. That was a good movie. You know what I mean? No, I'm talking about the one um, uh, about uh, the gong show guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, Sam, uh, what's his name? Sam Elliott. Sam, 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 Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell. You got uh, Is Sam Elliott in that one, too? Sam Elliott's in The Big Lebowski. That's right. He's also on Parks and Rec, yeah. No, he's not on Parks and Rec. Yeah, he plays the other Ron. He plays Ron Dunn to Ron Swanson's Ron Swanson. Uh, how come I've never seen a picture of him in that? Oh, it seems boy, like I see pictures of Ron Swanson all the time. Oh, he is awfully, awfully good in that. He, he starts out seeming like he's going to be exactly like Ron Swanson, and then it turns out he's like a hippie guy who wears sandals, and he's really, really good. Uh, mustache or no mustache? Mustache. Yeah. I'll find a picture for you. It's mustache cast, casting is what that is. Oh, yeah, stash casting. He's he's a handsome guy. You look at some pictures of that guy when he was a little younger. I mean, he's still a very handsome guy. Is he it's very that, conservative? He seems like he would be very conservative. I think that maybe he's not. Hmm. I, you know, Tom Selleck gave a bad name to signature mustaches. Just because being, you have a large aperture for your mustache does not mean that you have to be a conservative. That's old thinking. I, I don't. I don't know about Sam Elliott. I feel like I feel like he he's cowboy handsome. Oh, in a way yeah, that, yeah. oh my God, I wanted to be cowboy handsome so badly. Oh, you that's know? that's a that's a type, and I, I don't think you really you don't get to pick that out. Like that's that's you, you have it or you don't. Well, Chris Christopherson, cowboy handsome. Chris Christopher. Oh, absolutely, cowboy handsome. Right, and Chris Christopherson, not a cowboy. Mm-mm. He was an Air Force like uh, officer. He was an officer in the U- U.S. Air Force in the. Are you 60s. kidding me? No, Chris Christopherson. Chris Christopher, he's lived one of those George Plimpton lives. Yeah, I, I, that that makes sense. And uh, and then became like a songwriter. He was a songwriter before he was well known as a performer. Uh, that's right. And then and I, you know, and he dated Janis Joplin. He lived in the he lived in the Chelsea Hotel. You know all these things. And uh, but yeah, there's something uh, you know. And then he was in that. Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash band. Um, he was a military brat, right? And now here I'm. I, now I'm on his Wikipedia page. He was a Rhodes Scholar. Are you kidding me? He was a Rhodes Scholar. He went to Oxford. Ugh. Uh, and then cowboy handsome and a Rhodes Scholar. Can you imagine that? Master's degree in English in 1960. Wow. So pre. Pre everything, right? Now I always think of nineteen sixty as a year that is sort of pre all culture. Yeah, it's in, kind of one of those years like nineteen ninety seven that exists out of time. It's it's neither fish nor fowl. Yeah, right. I mean I, all of the cars from nineteen from the fifties all have wings and are and look like pregnant porpoises. And then in nineteen sixty we started to get the flat cars, the square cars, uh the cars that drive themselves. They not the shifter cars. Mm-hmm. And, but the but the 1960 cars for the most part were not the good square cars, right? They were the they were the the, the test case. Okay, but and also pre, I mean it's post rock and roll, but all the rock and roll up to then was pompadour rock, and then after you know 62, then it became a bowl haircut rock, right? And so here he is already has a master's degree. And it's pre, it's pre bowl haircut rock. You got a lot of um, jazz is still around. Uh, Elvis is still hanging on. Yep. You got a lot of like a lot of jazz. You got Ricky Nelson. You got Frank Sinatra. 
uh, Kingston Trio. You got the folk stuff happening. Uh, yep. And I think the girl group stuff hadn't... Uh, right, right about it's starting. Yeah, but I mean, like, when, when are the Ronettes? Like, when's that? That's oh, a little yeah, later, 62, right? yeah, I think. But, I mean, where's Dylan in 60? He's... He's still, he's still taking 15 showers a day in Minnesota. But, so, anyway, then Christofferson joins the Army, becomes a captain... That's a, a, that is a big, that's a, that's a big rank. Uh, yes, it, it, it certainly is. And became a helicopter pilot. And then Jeez. in 1965, he went and taught English literature at West Point. Or was, you know, was, uh, was uh, almost did. And then decided to leave the army to pursue songwriting in 65. His family disowned him because of this decision. And they never reconciled with him. Oh no, that's terrible to hear. That isn't that incredible? Like he 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 left the army in '65 and moved to Nashville. And when you think about Chris Christopherson, you think about him in the '70s. You know, with the like, by then he's an actor. I think of, only, I think of that that noise you make. It's yeah. When I think of Chris Christopherson, I think of ah. <laughs> right, right, because of that movie with Barbara Streisand. <laughs> Uh-huh. No, I think you're thinking that's, that's <laughs> Nick. Uh, that's Nick Fury. What's that guy's oh, name? No, Nick. Yeah, Nick the guy Fury from 48 Hours, down and out in Beverly Hills, right? Where he's uh, he eats the he eats the 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 salmon that he finds in the Santa <laughs> Claus suit. Well, but so anyway, I, Chris Christopherson's life has always astonished me so so much that I can't I can't even really like the only thing missing is that at a certain point. He He's became a, a government retired, assassin. <laughs> or like a retired director of the CIA. Like he, yeah. If anybody was going to be that, it was him. Huh. Uh, I, guess, I guess I'm glad I learned that. That's kind of, that's another one of the, another thing to be depressed about. Well, and think about this. Willie Nelson was born in 1933. What does Willie Nelson look like now? He looks like, uh, like a dried apple. <laughs> Right? He looks he looks like a vacation Bible school art project. Yeah, he looks like he looks like he, a he might be held that, together with with, with uh, popsicle sticks. Yeah. But well, he's looked like that since like 1968. Well, that's what I'm saying. Chris Gustafsson's only three years younger than Willie Nelson. He was born in 1936. He's my huh. mom's age. That's insane. Uh, but and he still just looks as you know he's still as cowboy handsome as as he ever was. Cowboy handsome. I wanted to be cowboy handsome, Merlin. Oh, you and me both, buddy. I used to sit, I used to imagine, this is one of those weird things. I, I never actually pursued being a bush pilot. Like I never, after I got my pilot's license as a kid, I never did anything else to be a bush pilot. Mm-hmm. But I continued to fantasize about being a bush pilot for several years after. Like I, when I pictured myself as a grown-up, one of the th- ways I imagined myself was as a bush pilot. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure why, right? I, I, that, was a, that was a job that was accessible to me. I could have become a bush pilot. Um, and, what, and what I would have done was during high school or, or the summer after high school, I would have gone down to the airport and gotten a job pumping gas mm-hmm. for the airplanes and you know, immersed myself in that life. I knew a lot of bush pilots. I could have been a bush pilot, but I didn't, I didn't do anything like that. But to be a bush pilot seemed to me to be the gateway to a kind of cowboy handsome, Mm -hmm. right? Where you kind of, 
you clothes were always a little bit stained. With like how, and how are you? How are you not going to find adventure if you're a bush pilot? Oh, that's exactly. You're the, you're the guy who uh, drives Indy uh, away while they're shooting arrows, right? You're, you're you got one of those little uh, water planes, maybe, or you know, I don't know what you do as a bush pilot, but that's that's a that's a ticket to adventure. That's the guy. A bush pilot is one of the an Alaska bush pilot is one of the jobs, one of the very few jobs where carrying a pistol in a shoulder holster does not seem crazy. Right, like oh, right, sure, how, sure. I mean, how many jobs? Like, there's, there's could be a Marvel comics artist, right? Let's was that Ed, Ed Brubaker? Was he the guy Ed, who carried a pistol? Ed, well, Ed Brubaker claims, I don't know what he claims. Mm-hmm. Maybe he, maybe he claims that he never did, or maybe he claims that I. That at one point, I told that story, and Ed contacted me, and he said I never wore a vest because uh-huh. I said he was wearing a. A gun in a shoulder holster under a vest. Yeah, and he wrote and said, "I never wore a vest." Well, that's not denying the gun. That's that is that's a non-denial denial. It's just denying the vest, right? Mm-hmm. But so, how many jobs? You know, if you're a double O, you can carry a gun in a shoulder holster. If you're, a, oh, you mean like a James Bond? Yeah, but you said it like it rhymes with Juggalo, so it made me really happy. Well, if you're a double O Juggalo, if you're a double O, and I think if you're a Juggalo, you can carry a four four loco in a shoulder holster. This episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you in part by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com and be sure and enter the very special offer code SUPERTRAIN at checkout to get 10% off. When it comes to giving yourself a place online, there's nowhere better than Squarespace. They put all the power you need into your hands and they take away all the pain points. Stuff like worrying about hosting, scaling, or what to do if you get stuck with something with Squarespace. You can build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of skill level, with no coding required. With their intuitive and easy-to-use tools, you can make your website look and feel exactly how you want. Squarespace has state-of-the-art technology to power your site and to ensure security and stability. They are trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected companies in the world. And their site templates are just stunning to look at. They all feature responsive design. That means your site is going to look great, regardless of the device upon which it is viewed. This is just getting started. Squarespace has tons of awesome features. They got 24-7 support via live chat and email. You get Squarespace's commerce platform that allows anyone to add a store to their Squarespace site and their wonderful cover page functionality so you can build great-looking single-page websites. All this plus rock-solid, fast hosting, and so much more. And if you want to stretch Squarespace even further, you got to check out their dev platform. This allows you to dig into the code and tinker with your Squarespace site. And if you sign up for a year of Squarespace, you will also get a free domain name that allows you to choose exactly the name you want for your site. Maybe craziest of all, Squarespace plans start at a very affordable $8 per month. You can start your trial today with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up, make sure and use the very special offer code SUPERTRAIN. That is going to get you 10% off your first purchase, and it will show your support for Roderick on the Line. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Roderick on the Line and all the great shows. But uh, it's Fago. I no, well, yeah, sure, it's Fago now. Sure, it was Fago then, but it's only because the good four locos are aren't made anymore. Uh, aren't brewed. But like, but you know, if you're a, if you're a gritty San Francisco detective, you can carry a gun in a shoulder holster. And then what else? Like a crocodile hunter? Yeah. But if you're a if you're a bush pilot, and I say this because I've known. A handful of bush pilots that do carry guns in a shoulder holster. It's not required. I know a lot of bush pilots that don't. But if you if you show up somewhere and you get out of your plane, you got a gun in the shoulder holster. Yeah. Because you don't know if, if a bear's going to come out of the woods. 
if if uh, if a bunch so, of that, that that kind of a holster that that sounds like that's a person who could be very reasonable reasonable and reasoned with that's a business person right you know what I mean versus like somebody you know who's got a big gun on their belt and is real showy about it that's right and a shoulder holster I mean that's what that's how my dad was carrying that gun when he shot the the zero out of the sky he just he just opened the window on his plane just shot it out of the sky and so that's a, a kind of a bush pilot move right you don't yeah. want a gun on your hip. You want to be able to get it and still be controlling your airplane. Mm-hmm. It's going to be covered up by your seatbelt and your go pills. That's right. Mm. You know about the go pills. I know about go pills. A- anyway, anyway. So I, uh, being a bush pilot, and I, I'm not sure how much it still maybe weighs on me that I didn't become a bush pilot. Could happen. Because it could still happen. There was, well, I don't it's know. Just, you, I, got to, you just got to focus, focus your assets and your resources. You got to say no to more things. You got to say, no, I can't. I got to go to, I got to, go to bush pilot class tonight. But this is the this is the thing about so many of those job paths where the decision to be a a bush pilot is somewhat predicated on you not realizing yet how many different ways there are to die. It's a young man's game. Right? Yeah. And once you get in it, sure. Then, you know, then you, by the time you get to be my age, you've got you're the you're the old you're the old guard. But it's not a thing at, at, at in your mid 40s to say like, "Oh, I'm going to now I'm going to go, you know, get the riskiest job you can have. Mm-hmm. With your property, it seems to me you could become a freelance, like, uh, helicopter adventurer. It would be pretty easy for you to have a small helicopter, that, like a little, a mini bell. I'm going to guess that's a thing uh-huh. that you could have, that you could just have adventures. You could, it could be like, it could be like a, a costly Uber involving yeah. helicopters where you could have missions. You could definitely carry a gun, I think, if you had a helicopter uh, like, like a Like a CJ, TJ. DJ. Right, 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 from CJ and the Bear. Exactly, yeah. the, the guy on the on Magnum, right? Yeah, yeah, CJ and the Bear. Uh, I, I see, but I think you have to learn. I think you can carry a gun in a shoulder holster if you are a helicopter adventurist. But I think you have to learn to fly the helicopter in the army. I think that's just the only way. That's the that is where you learn to fly helicopter. I, you know, I understand where you're coming from, but I, I think you're being you're being awfully negative about all these things. I think you just need to pick one. You could be you could be cowboy handsome in no time. What about what about War Zone reporter? Did you see that movie uh, uh, WTF? Mm-mm. Uh, starring uh, the girl from from the oh show? no that that uh, I, I don't I think she shouldn't make as many movies. I think she's really TV is her medium. I yeah. like her so much on TV, and her movies don't do that much for me. And and this movie has a, a, that problem. That additional problem of like, is this a comedy? Yeah. This, I mean, there are some people getting blown up and killed in this movie, and that's not funny. But there's also some lo- some hot lols in yeah. it. It's like I'm not sure how how much I want my lols leavened with suicide bombing. Hmm. But I didn't mind the film. But it did. It also like relit that fuse in uh-huh. me. Where it was like, why didn't you go to the war zone and become a war zone? reporter you know in the same way that you can get away with uh, a shoulder holster for uh, being a bush pilot i think you definitely people are going to give you a pass on epaulets uh when you're a war zone reporter right or a jacket that has a belt jacket oh a jacket with a belt with some pockets in it Uh but like you Uh think you take a christian amanpour i mean that's that's a strong look you you get you get a belted jacket with some epaulets you would look you would look terrific in that I think that there's a kind of sunglasses that you can only wear if you're a war reporter. And I often wear – so the sunglasses I'm wearing right now, because I often wear sunglasses to record our podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but you wear them over your eyes, right? 
You don't put them on the back of your neck or anything like that. No, no. Lots of people a- in our, our neighborhood own sunglasses, but they don't actually ever have them over their eyes. They're either on their forehead, uh, on around the front of their neck, on a, on a croaky, or yeah. on the back of their neck, like they have vision problems with the back of their neck. I feel like if you have the if you have the glasses on the back of your neck, you had better be a bass fisherman mm. or selling RVs. Mm-hmm. Right, like that's Todd. Not a, like Todd. Like Todd. That's yeah. not a look that I think is good at all. The sunglasses on the back of the neck. That's a um, that's a that's a douche flag for me. Yeah, that's not good. But uh, but no, I wear them on my eyes. But I, I now that I'm realizing it, like I'm wearing a pair of of uh, Ray Ban aviators. And they actually are bush pilot glasses slash war reporter glasses. Okay. Well, people say don't dress for the job that you have. Dress for the job that you want. It seems to me you're already wearing the sunglasses of a man with a different career. Yeah, I'm wondering if that. I'm wondering if it's not aspirational. If I put, if I don't put these sunglasses on and think maybe I'm going to get swept up uh-huh. in some kind of situation where I'm landing in a. I'm landing a de Havilland beaver hmm. uh, somewhere uh, under fire. Yeah. Right? I combine the two. Hmm. Combine hmm. the two. Bush pilot slash war reporter. God, that's so much better than my current job. I'm on the um, Wikipedia page for people who were born in 1936. Uh, and it's pretty, there's a lot of Cowboy Handsome on this page. Yeah. I you bet. got Pope Francis. You got uh, David Carradine. He's very cowboy handsome. Right? You got Robert Redford. Super. He defines cowboy handsome. Chris Christopherson. Wait a minute. He was born in 36, Robert Redford? Mm-hmm. <sighs> Bruce Dern. Dennis Hopper. Come on. Then, of course, it gets, you know, then you have there's a little bit of variety, too. You got Sepp Blatter, that soccer guy. You got F.W. De Klerk uh, from South Africa. You got Ursula Andress. Uh, you've got uh, uh, Roy Orbison. Loved wearing glasses. Uh, Ursula Andress, uh, also very cowboy handsome. But don't you think of Roy Orbison as being a lot older than, say, Robert Redford? Or John McCain or Silvio Berlusconi or Jim Henson? Yes. Berlusconi? 1936. Wow. The great actor Brian Blessed. Vaclav Havel. Vaclav Havel. Vaclav still, Havel. Oh, mm-hmm. You know, Berlusconi fools you because his hair is so black still. Mm-hmm. And it seems implausible when you think about it, that he's almost 80 years old, well, that his not. hair would be so black. Yeah. The thing is, if I had to eyeball, oh, and also uh, Burt Reynolds. Hmm. He was I, cowboy handsome. He was so cowboy handsome. Mm-hmm. I really, and you know, he's got a big area. He's got right? a big mustache area. Yep. He has a big area. I, 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 I really, really want to know what Burt Reynolds looks like without his rug. I mean, he just doesn't, <sighs> I bet he could look really good. Yeah. If you yeah, if handsome. you just if you just capitulate to what your head is shaped like and what your hair area should be and how you how you accommodate that, you there's, there's a lot you can do today. There's so much that's acceptable that are t- the times have changed. Well, it's like it's like you, you know, God gives you the beard you deserve. He also yeah. gives you the hair you deserve. Hmm. Right? And if you I think the trouble is a lot of men actually do believe that that he gives you the hair that you deserve. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And so they feel like they feel like they, the world sees them. Like we have some kind of a medieval affliction, like like their sins are born upon their pate. Well, what about the guy who's in the who's on the TV show um, uh, Capital Hijinks? Um, mm. uh, death of uh, the 
president. Oh, sure. The you got that's uh, yeah, my wife Britain. used to have a crush on him, Kevin Spacey. No, uh, not Kevin Spacey, mm. but the, the guy that plays the young congressman in that show. Mm. Oh, uh, that guy, the guy who no, no spoilers, but that guy. Yeah. Yeah, that guy. He's great. And what else has he been? Oh, he's well, the he bad was, guy in Ant Man. And he was in Girls. He appeared in Girls at one point. Oh, I like that actor. One I like shows. him a lot. He's he's like an old school like bad guy. He's good. Yeah, and he's proudly bald. He's bald. He's like he's like Cordry. He's like a good looking guy with no hair. See, Cordry is another one. Proudly he's, I mean, bald. he looks he Cordry looks good. I, you know, I, if he he looks. You go back and look at pictures of people when they were still trying to like go with the like I still have hair thing, and like you're like, oh my god, you look so much better now. You know. Have you ever thought about just taking a razor to your head and giving yourself a male pattern baldness and seeing how it is? Yeah, for a long time I used to think it would be kind of a fun thing if you could get 150 people in Brooklyn to do that and make it like a hip thing. Like if Beck started doing it, it would kind of be fun if you could convince people that the faking male pattern baldness was a thing. I always thought that would be kind of a fun thing. Or to do like a to do like a monk. Like a tonsure? Uh, like a tonsure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I feel well, like you don't see that pattern of male pattern baldness. I feel like you see more receding hair. When I was a kid, all men over the age of 35 looked like my grandfather, right, which they means they had a monk's, a monk's tonsure. It was shorter in front, sure, but they always had the big part in the back. You know, I don't think you see that anymore. Is that technology, John? How do men not have the, the spot on the back of their head anymore? Well, do you remember? Now, everybody, did your dad have that? Your dad had pretty good hair, right? No, my dad's hair went away on the top. Okay. Um, I think what it is is that in the intervening twenty years now, men with that are bald can shave their heads and they look amazing. Yep. But when we were kids, that it wasn't an option to shave your head, and so you just had to go out there. And it wasn't even an option really to cut it short unless you were in the army. Um, uh, remember, remember the uh, the actor from uh, from um, Simon and Simon who was in the movie about being a bad dad to his kids. Mm. Back in the seventies, mm. or was it Robert Duvall? What was Are the you movie thinking of American the, Beauty? No, the, uh, the it, this was from the seventies where he was a uh. military dad and he was abusive to his kids, mm. and it was called like I don't know, American Dad or something. Iron Eagle, tough no, dad. Pre that, it was yeah, it was. Uh, what what is that actor's name? It's uh, George McClellan. It's uh, uh, oh, you think of Gerald George, McRaney? Gerald McRaney from from Major Dad. Yeah, Gerald. You might be Mc- thinking of Major Dad because Gerald McRaney was in Simon and Simon, and I think he was also the titular Major Dad. No, I, you know what? I'm thinking of Robert Duvall. Oh, well, you're thinking of the Great Santini. The Great Santini. The Great Thank Santini. You, right. So the Tom's great Tom's Sant- not a wartime consigliere. The 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 Great Santini mm-hmm. loved the smell of napalm in the morning. That's right. He and threw, he threw he, cards. He threw cards on the bodies and like the surf. The, he only threw cards on the bodies in in uh, Redieu. He did not throw cards on the bodies in the in the original film. Oh, it was only in Redieu? It was in, only in Redieu. Wow, God, that's, is, that's the one I really think of. That's so interesting. Yeah, I can't, ima- I can't believe that you think that Redieu is the canonical. Oh, you mean like you're saying leave out the, the French colony? The French colony doesn't belong. I don't think that all the extended scenes with the, with the yeah. bunnies belong. No, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I'm not married to that. Yeah. I think if I were to go back and, and diagnose, I think Robert Altman in Apocalypse Now had a pretty bad case of ADHD. If you go back and watch that today, I'm saying as a sufferer, I go back and I watch that movie and all I see is a guy who has trouble focusing. Uh, Altman, you're saying. The director did of I say Spock- Robert Altman? Uh, Apocalypse Now. Oh, Ro- Robert Altman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy who did Nashville. Yeah, yeah right. He's, he was the star. To- he, he, played, he played the, uh, the, the, the general. 
He played in, the general in, in Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. So if you look at Robert Duvall, Robert Duvall in The Great Santini yeah. in 1979, he was a balding guy that had his hair cut real short. And, um, and it, that was the one look you could have. Oh, yeah, the, look at that. Is that. They call that a high and tight? What do you call that? That's a high that? and tight, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Boy, he looks so different. Look how, look how he looks. Oh, that was by Pat Conroy. Oh, look at that. Okay. Yeah, great Santini. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, but otherwise you had, to, um, you had to just wear your hair any old way, right? You, you, however it came out, it just had to float. It had to float around. Well, everybody in the 70s, it was weird because you, you kind of, even my dad grew his hair out a little bit. Like everybody had to get longer hair and sharper collars. But like so many men, and even in rock bands, go back and look at like the zombies. Like half of the zombies are obviously totally going bald, even in like 1968. But you look at all these guys and the guys had all these, had this hippie hair. Everybody looked like, uh, looked like uh, Fredo in Dog Day Afternoon. Like you got Fredo. long hair, but then you got this whole thing where you're swooping it over. He almost look, he looks like he's a member of the monks. The, uh, the, the, oh, the, the rock, rock band. Rock band. Yeah, 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 yeah. I never I, understood how you could have that, how, how that movie could be called, what was it called? Wait Until Spring Santini? Which one is that? Is that, is that Robert Altman? I think that was the one that came later, right? See you next Tuesday? See you next... <laughs> <laughs> I, oh I literally, goodness. I literally got that joke last year. I've been seeing John Landis movies for years that constantly reference a fictional film called See You Next Tuesday. And I, I finally only got the job. I only got that joke uh, like last year. That, you know, that kind of long con or shaggy dog story. Yeah. Uh, that makes me, that type of stuff makes me really happy. Wouldn't you like to be somebody that had been running some sort of long gag? Oh, yeah. For years, right? And it's it's just, just hiding in plain sight the whole time. That's right. Something I've, al- I've always wished that I had had the foresight to lay something in wait decades ago mm-hmm. that was still laying in wait for some, you know, some, uh, some Manchurian candidate style gag, right? That comes out that something, I don't know what it would be, uh, some I mean, like a, a crazy example would be like a like a medieval monk doing an acrostic, where nobody right. would think to look for an acrostic in a medieval text, right. and then later on you go, oh, you know, oh, it actually says, you know, uh, go Chicago Bears or whatever. Yeah, right. It, it, it's the plot of some Tom Hanks movie where he's in a pyramid. And, oh, sure, and he's got he's Nicholas Cage has to get the, the yeah, Declaration right. of Independence signed. He, he finds the blue glasses, and then he looks up at the yeah. Masonic. And then he's t- able to solve the Rubik's cube. But I, but but like. So years and years ago, when I was still in high school, it was still possible to get a fake ID by the following process, or two processes that I under, as I understood them. And maybe I learned this in the anarchist cookbook, and maybe this was just conventional wisdom on the streets. Mm-hmm. But one of them was you would go to a graveyard and find a gravestone of a child that had died in... In, <laughs> in the year you wanted to fake? Yeah. <laughs> or no, a kid that was born in the year you wanted to be born in, but then died at two years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you would go to the public records and get their birth certificate. You're kidding me. That had no reference of their death and then get an adult ID based on their birth certificate. And from that, you could then get a social security number and actually build an entire actual identity. 
People would do this in order to buy beer? Well, initially, right, you buy beer, but then if you have successfully done this, you get a mortgage. It, it can be a second ID, right? I mean, you have a, uh, have a passport. You assume this identity. Oh, that is attractive. I got to be honest with you. And you could do it. You could do it even, I mean, you could do it even at 40 years old. All you had to do was go find somebody that was born the year you were born and then died at a, at a young age. And you could just assume their identity and disappear. This was a, this was supposedly a method. Mm-hmm. And it seemed just too complicated and risky to do just in order to buy beer. But the, but the second... That is, a, that is a boil the ocean beer buying model. Right, but it, seems, it seemed even at the time like do this now and spend these many years building that identity and then when you need it, you never use it. Right, it's there, but you do all the stuff. Right, you get a bank account, you get a social security number, yeah, you get a passport. You make payments, you get a credit card, you you maintain it, but you never utilize it. But it's there when you need it. It's like your own private sleeper cell. It's a, it's your little. It's just a doorway to another world that you could add. You could decide at any day to just. And the only risk of it, there's no really no risk of it because the parents of this kid aren't. You know, mm-hmm. it's not it's not like a birth certificate has a well, the last thing you want to do is remember all of that. Right. The other way to do it, this this again, suppose it was there were many instances where a birth certificate wasn't available. The courthouse had burned down something, something, something. And you could get a baptismal certificate Ooh. from it from a from a priest where you were baptized and the, your date of birth was on the baptismal certificate. And in certain jurisdictions, that was considered as good as a birth certificate because who do you trust? Interesting. More than the, more than the church. And so in high school, I actually got a hold of a baptismal certificate. And I went to great lengths to forge it where I wrote the information in and what I at the time thought was old timey writing (laughs) 60s writing and I think I might have even spilled some coffee on it and maybe touched the edges of the thing with a light with a a match yeah just to kind of you know make it look like you're making a pirate map (laughs) a pirate map that's exactly right (laughs) and I had this thing which I felt pretty confident about it looked pretty good and I I kept it in the bottom of my sock drawer and it was like this, this loaded pistol of possibility. This is your, uh, this is your Jason Bourne box. Yeah. And, and, and I was 16 and I had this thing. I had no independent confirmation that this would work, but I was, I was building up the, the, the cojones, the chutzpah. To walk in to the DMV, lay this thing down and say, my uh, birth certificate was lost in a fire and this is all I have. And see, like roll the dice. Yep. And, I, and I figured it was a pretty big roll of the dice because if, it, if, this, if this wasn't going to work, there was 50% chance that the person would just say, no, we don't accept that as an ID and chase you out. There was also a fifty percent chance that they would say, "Why don't you come over here and sit in this room for a minute?" Let me uh, let me go uh, call in my manager, Mister White. 
Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, there are three detectives there. So I never, <laughs> what's all this thing? <laughs> yeah. So I never did it. I never did it. And, and then pretty soon after that, it no longer was an option, right? There, uh, it became like now, I don't think you would be able to go in with a birth certificate and establish an identity no. that had never existed before. And then all of a sudden a 40 year old person gets his first uh, social security number, right? That's, you can't just, you can't invent. Something. Also, I mean, there's all kinds of things. Like obviously there's all, you know, what computer systems and cross matching stuff, however that works, that, that, that's one thing. But also I think there probably used to be more fires and floods. I think there were times when like, there was just a whole bunch of documents that went back to the 1700s and they got lost because there was a fire or a flood. A fire or a flood. There's a fire or a flood. It was not unusual at all. Plus also more kids died. There's all yeah. kinds of things that would create an environment where, where you could buy beer with a, with a scheme like this. Yeah, well, uh, well, and also, like, not just buy beer, but, like, you could, get a, you could get a mortgage. Think about all of the cars that I bought and then broke down and I left parked on the side of the road. Yeah, you, you got places to go. And never saw them again, right? Mm -hmm. And in every case, the reason that I was able to do that is I never switched the registration over to my name, mm -hmm. which is why when you sell a car to somebody, immediately go and register that you have sold it. Sounds like you're doing a talk in schools. Uh, well, right? I used this, to do this all the time. Listen, this is a thing that everybody should know because multiple times I bought a car for $500 for somebody and I drove it until it broke down and I parked it in a parking meter on a Saturday night. And they get a call and, a week later. And then, yeah, they get a call and they're like, you know, your car was towed and you owe $750. Rodrigo. They're like, what? I sold that thing to some uh. guy. Um, but if you, you know, if you had a fake ID where you could actually like register, uh -huh. you could, it could be your like parking ticket ID or your, yeah, you're like your uh, Welsh, your Welsher ID. Not to, not to, no, nothing against the Welsh. No, I, that's, that's such a good idea. Mm. But, but too late. I, I missed my chance. And that's the kind of like sow the seeds when you're young of a gag, of a bit, of a, of a, of a, like a hidey hole mm -hmm. where, you know, where uh, where one day Amelie is going to drop some marble and it's going to knock a piece of tile out of the bathroom wall and there's your little box full of toys. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? I, I think I do. But now it's too late for us. You can't be Bush Pilot. It's going to be hard to be Cowboy Handsome and Amelie's probably never going to discover our box at this point. I might... I still hold out hope that Amelie will discover my box, but I, mm. I, and I also feel like maybe I am becoming cowboy handsome. Mm. Hmm. Um, there was a, when I was in high school, there was a guy that had uh, dimples, right? Magnum PI scale dimples. Cause Magnum didn't just have a big mustache area. He, he had a whole had lot going on. Killer dimples. And I had a buddy who had these dimples and the, and it was incredible to watch the dimples cast spells on people. It was, it was nothing else. I mean, it wasn't like, well, he had really good hair too, but there, it was the dimples that were doing the work. And I didn't have dimples because my face was just made out of putty, right? Or it was made out of, what was it made out of? Raw chicken. You were, you were basically a canvas for a beard, just waiting for a beard to come along. It was a beard canvas. I, was a, I, was a, I, had, a, I had a beard-shaped face that was made out of raw chicken. <laughs> and, and certain parts of my complexion were uncooked scallop. Raw chicken and uncooked yeah, scallop covered mm. with hair. But now I'm starting to develop dimples 
and I'm, I'm not sure whether they're fencing scars or whether you should probably get that looked at. You know, whether it's cancer, whether I'm just falling apart, and one of the <laughs> side effects is dimples. You have the cutest cancer. You have the, you know, the cancer. Oh, is your scallops, your... your scallops got face cancer, but now you're so much cuter. It's causing the inside of your cheek to adhere to your jaw, but mm. it's cute. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's a little bit of scarring and weathering that's happening to me that almost looks like cowboy, mm-hmm. cowboy handsome. Um, I think it might it might still be cowboy cute. And I'm not sure cowboy cute is, is what I want. Cowboy cute. Now, cowboy cute sounds like somebody who dies near the end of the second act. Yeah, that's James Dean. James Dean is cowboy cute. Oh, right? sure. Like so, Salminio. Salminio. Mm-hmm. Cowboy cute. I always think of Salminio as being one of the guys standing behind uh, the guy that was the dad of the girl that won the Oscar in the Woody Allen movie. Uh, Sorvino, Paul Sorvino. Paul Sorvino. Right. And his daughter, Mira Sorvino. Mira Sorvino. He's very protective of her. Yeah. She won an Oscar in the Woody Allen movie. Mm-hmm. Right. Playing the, uh, uh, that was back in the era where if you were an actress and wanted to win an Oscar and were young, you, you had to play a prostitute. Especially in a Woody Allen movie. Yeah. Right. Uh, but Paul Sorvino was always in the foreground of the scene where I always imagined Salminio was one of the guys in the background. Okay. But Salminio was a different kind of actor, right? Oh, he was yeah. Handsome yeah. or something? He was. Well, I think, yeah, I think he had. Uh, I, I, yeah, I think he had problems. I think he's like, uh, he's like Alfalfa so, from our gang. I think he ran into problems. He's very cute. He, you know what? He looks like the guy. He looks like that guy in the, in the band who uh, had a, the very conspicuous British drug problem and he dated Kate Moss. La Bamba? <laughs> Oh no, Bomba, La Bomba, La Bomba. No, the the guy that was in the band where he and his bandmate had matching tattoos of the band name, right? And there's that cover of that record album where they're both showing their tattoos of their own band. It's either Nelson or Oasis. It's the type of thing. Oasis is a good guess. It's the type of thing that you could only get away with if you were a British rock musician. Matching, ta- matching tattoos. I mean, maybe if you're in Guns N' Roses, you can have a Guns N' Roses tattoo. You might not even remember. You, you, you got it, right? You, yep. might, you, might, you might have forgotten. Maybe that's your Amelie box. You wake up one day, you realize you're Duff McKagan. You're, 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 you're investing in things, and you remember you got a tattoo. Well, I definitely, saw, uh, I definitely saw Duff in a couple of situations where I could have given him a tattoo. <laughs> 